Good morning, Dr. Alice Williamson. Good morning, Ruby. We have a kind of very special show planned today. It's almost like an International Women's Day special. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is, I reckon. Yeah, uh, we're making it International Women's Week because International Women's Day is actually on Thursday. Yeah. But, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, we're pretty close. We've You've brought a guest in. Yeah, I've brought a fantastic guest uh, this morning, uh, a colleague of mine from the School of Chemistry at Sydney Uni. Um, Kate Leslie's come along. Hi, Kate. Hello. And she's going to tell us a little bit about her awesome research, which is helping to use chemistry to light up our cells so we can see what's going on in the Okay, yeah. So um, can you kind of give us a little bit of a rundown? Like what exactly are you researching? Yeah, so um, I'm a chemist and I make fluorescent molecules, which um, kind of like the fluorescent molecules in a highlighter or something glow really brightly. And we can put them in cells and um, use them to see what's going on inside. Because if you look at cells down a microscope, they kind of just look like clear blobs and it's really difficult to know what's happening. Everything's really tiny. Um, But if we put in these fluorescent dyes, we can make them go to a certain place or change colour when they see something we want to see. And we can use them to kind of figure out what's going on inside. Is that so you can kind of colour code different parts of a cell so you can see different things? Yeah, yeah, we can definitely do that. Um, And that's really helpful in understanding sort of maybe how a diseased cell might be different to a healthy cell. Um, And as well as looking at different kind of parts of the cell, we can look at different chemicals within the cell and different um, reactions that might be going on in there. Yeah, so there's there's some pretty cool chemistry that's going on in our cells all of the time. And if you find the right molecule, you can find a way to interact with that chemistry. And that's some of the things that Kate does. And um, what kind of colours are these, are these uh, <laughs> dyes? What can we see? So they're kind of every colour of the spectrum. Ideally, uh, we have dyes of... Um, all different colours, so maybe a yellow one and a red one and a blue one, um, so that we can look at multiple things at the same time without getting confused about, you know, what's what. And so this kind of ties in with what you were saying, Ruby, about colour coding it. So if you have all these different different chemical species that can fluoresce in different ways, you can, you know, really... Uh, you know, have a kind of a map of the cell. Um, But what what are this particularly useful for looking for? Um, So... Uh, An example of something that I've been working on is um, I've taken a dye and added a a chemical group to one side and that makes it green. And then I've added a different chemical group and that makes it yellow. And there's actually an enzyme in cells that can change that chemical group from one to another. So it can make it go from green to yellow, but only when there's a lack of oxygen. And so we can add this this dye to cells and when we see that colour change know that those cells have a lack of oxygen which is really useful because um, a lack of oxygen uh, is one of the hallmarks of tumour progression so we can put this dye in cells watch it change colour and see how um, oxygen is moving throughout a tumour. And how did they how did they actually light up? Do you want to explain a bit about the process that makes them fluoresce? Yeah, so um, fluorescence works by a molecule accepting a certain color of light and then turning it into a different color and giving it back to us. And I've explained this kind of like playing Marco Polo, which oh. is only a good analogy if you grew up in Australia. Yeah, apparently. I know. <laughs> Kate, Kate explained this to me, and I was like, "What? What? What's Marco Polo?" But go on, Kate. So. Um, 
it's kind of like being able to call out to your dye with a certain kind of color like Marco and then the dye will turn it into a different color of light and shine it back to you like a specific kind of polo um, reply. So what other diseases could this be used to, to, to look out for or for other things that are going on in the cells? Um, so really this is where kind of my work would be handed over to a biologist so um, we can create uh, dyes that will change colour when they see almost anything and then um, biologists can use those as tools to understand the different signs of diseases. So we know that for example lack of oxygen is a hallmark of tumour growth but we don't necessarily know what other kind of markers are um, indicative of different diseases. So we can give our tools to biologists and they can use them. So biologists using some great chemistry exactly. research. And do this, does this work in cells that are in dishes in the lab or does it work in cells that are inside living organisms? So it's, it's much easier to use in cells that are in dishes because it's just one layer. It's kind of a, a good model of what's going on. But there are also fluorescent dyes that are used in the body. Sometimes um, surgeons <laughs> use them in the body to help guide surgery. So if you have a fluorescent dye that lights up in cancerous cells and not in normal cells, surgeons will put on these funny glasses and, and um, add this fluorescent dye and only cut out cancerous cells that they can see kind of lit up. That is so cool. I feel like you could, it sounds almost like a video game. You're just kind of looking for like the yeah. glowing kidney or whatever to take out. Yeah, no, like I a mean, game of operation. Yeah, I mean, you're hoping that the surgeon can find your kidney, but, it's, <laughs> but there are, you know, you, you look at these techniques where you can light up specific cells. And I saw this cool video the other day that was of this 3D imaging system where you could kind of rotate in 3D a body and um, not a, you know, a simulated body and look for different parts um, of, of diseases or move away organs. So you could look at those kind of MRIs and imaging in 3D. And if you coupled this with actual dye inside um, the human body, it's going to be much easier to find uh, those cells that need to be removed or, or targeted. That's so interesting. Uh, we have an article if you want to uh, have a little bit of a further read. We can put that up on the programs page for you. Thank you so much for coming in, Kate. We're in the midst of Up and Adam with Dr. Alice Williamson and a special guest, Kate Leslie. How are you guys doing? You feeling good? Pretty good. Mm, pretty okay. good. Hey. So we're doing kind of an International Women's Week special for Up For It today, and we're covering kind of uh, female topics, I guess. <laughs> um, firstly, this is, I said before, it's the number one killer for women in third world countries, and Australia has just kind of worked out a way to eradicate it almost completely here. Uh, what are we talking about? Yeah, so this is some research that came out on Sunday, which is really, really positive news for um, cervical cancer. Um, since uh, 2007, uh, the government made uh, a great decision to uh, provide a vaccine for HPV, human papilloma Papil papillovirus, um, I think I've mispronounced that too, HPV we'll go with, um, which is responsible for 99.9% .9 of all cases of cervical cancer. And this vaccine was co-invented by an Australian and by introducing this vaccine to young teenagers, 12 and 13 year olds, um, the immunity to this class of viruses has increased uh, dramatically and it's 
clearly on the cards now that if this continues, this uh, disease, cervical cancer, cervical cancer, could be eradicated in the next 30 to 40 years in Australia. That's awesome. And... Are we just vaccinating women? No, so um, we that's how the program started. In 2007, it was just a vaccination program for 12 to 13-year-old uh, girls. And a little bit later on, um, I think it was 2013, yeah. boys were um, also given the vaccine. Um, but one of the things that's been been really interesting to note is that when, when measured in 2016, it was found that um, over 78% of 15-year-old girls were, had been vaccinated and about 73% of all boys had been vaccinated. And it's uh, led to something that we might talk about now, which is a, a kind of herd protection um, for the population. So by vaccinating young women, um, this has led to an immunity in the general population. Mm, and this is really interesting because... It means you don't have to vaccinate absolutely everybody in order to protect the whole population, which is good because you sometimes can't vaccinate everybody. Is that but, because it's transmitted less or...? Yeah, so it's because imagine you have a disease, but you're surrounded by people who are vaccinated. It means oh. you can't have a way to pass it on. And so if you can kind of isolate, imagine a map of people and isolate the people who aren't vaccinated and surround them by people who are, we have this herd immunity, so we can't pass a, a disease on, even though we haven't managed to get absolutely everyone. And that's why for many vaccination programs, because there are some people who there are some people who can't be vaccinated because of medical reasons. Mm. So that's why everybody else is so strongly encouraged to be vaccinated because it helps to protect um, people who might be vulnerable to infection because they're unable to have that immunisation. Which is why uh, public vaccination programs really encourage everybody who can be to have that jab. So this is the most kind of mainstream way of helping to prevent cervical cancer. Uh, but is is there any other ways that we can do it? Yes. Yeah, so this is something that's really important. So people who haven't been vaccinated for uh, against the HPV vi virus, which is older women, I think, I think women who are old older than twenty four in Australia, but might have to check mm -hmm. that one. Um, they um, they're really encouraged to to continue to be screened for cervical cancer. And the way in which um, screenings are conducted in Australia has changed at the end of last year. So rather than going for a pap smear every two years, which was the traditional recommendation, there's a new test, which I believe is every five years now. And one of the things that they do in this test is to actually screen for the HPV virus. So if the HPV virus is detected in a woman um, who hasn't been vaccinated, it means that um, they can look a bit closer and try to look for precancerous lesions to prevent them from um, becoming full-blown cervical cancer. So the messaging here is really strong that it's still very important for women who um, haven't been vaccinated, indeed have been vaccinated, to, to go along for these screenings if uh, this this disease is to be eradicated. And that's crazy that we are so close to almost completely eradicating a form of cancer. There's other places in the world that aren't even close, right? Yeah. Do you want to explain that bit? Yeah. So uh, in, in developing countries, cervical cancer is... Um, 
one of the, the worst cancers that women can get and has about a 50% mortality rate. Here you're much more likely to, if you kind of go to the screening process and have that kind of thing picked up, um, receive treatment and, and survive, but that's not the case in third world countries. Yeah, and this is something that the co-inventor of the vaccine, Professor Ian Fraser and, and other people have been very vocal about. There's some great articles that have been written on this this week that um, you know lots of people in the world don't have access to the same medicines as Australia. Um, in fact, some of the stats say that about two thirds of the of the women in the world wouldn't have access to the same medicines as Australian women. But this process of, of vaccinating has been so clearly effective that if it could be rolled out into the developing world, um, it could be extremely important in preventing so many unnecessary deaths. And it's been trialled in a couple of countries and has been successful. So with the right amount of intervention and time and education, it is possible to roll out these programmes um, anywhere. Fantastic. Well, hopefully we find a way to get this HPV vaccine all around the world so that everybody gets to share this uh, combating cervical cancer together, I guess. Yeah, because I think often it's something that we talk about is curing cancer and we speak about cancer as one type of disease. It's a lot of But it's, it's many, many diseases and this is a, a, a relatively rare form of cancer that's caused by a virus but it has meant that this vaccine has been able to be created. So it's a real success story and some very positive news. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming in, Dr. Alice Williamson and also Kate Leslie, uh, for a very special International Women's Day version of Up and Adam. I'll see you next week, Alice. See you next week, Ruby. See ya.